We'll begin our sermon with a long, loud, and slow prayer. Dear God, thank you for bringing us to this sermon time. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to spend time with each other and catch up on life and, and socialize. Thank you for the fellowship that we share, but also thank you for the fellowship that we share with you. And so we ask you to build, our, build your relationship with us during our sermon time today. As we meditate on your word, help us to grow in our faith and help us to be deeply encouraged and equipped for everything we're facing in life. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So our sermon text this morning really uh, brings in the previous texts and ties them together. Our sermon text comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 16, zooming in even further and providing commentary on Abraham and his life. We read, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return, but instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, it was a pretty different world uh, 4,000 years ago. You think? Like, probably a pretty different world. It was. I think 4,000 years ago, human civilization was really just kind of getting started again after the flood. And people, for the most part, were living in small groups like tribes and bands and big families rather than like empires and cities. 4,000 years ago, technology had not advanced to the point that maybe we are used to. We had none of the devices that our kids are talking about missing when they go camping. In fact, 4,000 years ago, alphabetic writing had not even been invented yet. So in many ways, 4,000 years ago, life was pretty different from our life and our time. But in many more ways, it was not. In many more ways, it was actually just the same. People were born, they grew up, they experienced successes and failures, joys and sorrows. They toiled and they struggled and they fought against each other and eventually they got old and sick and died. Their world, like our world, was imperfect. It was broken by sin. It was populated by people who are broken by sin, people who needed redemption, people who needed God. And so it happened 4,000 years ago that God 
came into our world himself. And God came to a man named Abraham, and God gave him the extraordinary promise that the Savior of all mankind, the Savior that we so desperately needed, was going to be born through his family line. So welcome, by the way, to the second uh, sermon in our Advent sermon series, which is called Hope for Generations. Um, I've realized my slides are wonky, so I'm just going to leave this nice slide up for the remainder. Our Advent sermon series called Hope for Generations. This series, as we've discussed, is based on Matthew's whole genealogy of Jesus. That genealogy is split into three sections. Each week we'll look at one section, and today we'll be looking at the time of Abraham, around 2000 BC, so 4,000 years ago. Now, as we've established, even though it was a really long time ago, the time of Abraham was not all that different from today as we might think. In fact, as I've looked at these three Old Testament periods that we're studying, I wonder if the oldest one, the time of Abraham, is the one that is most similar to our time. So these were, I'm just going to give you two, two of the main cultural characteristics at Abraham's time. The first one was called polytheism. Um, Can you raise your hand if you've ever heard of polytheism? I know you have, but this is just a way of gathering attention. So polytheism. (laughs) What is polytheism? It's the worship of many gods, multiple gods. So you've got a god of the forest, and a god of the trees, and a god of the river, and a god of the mountains. And then every nation has got its own different gods. And the view is that these gods are all out there. Maybe some are stronger than others. Maybe some could defeat others. But like, there's plenty of room for plenty of gods, and they're all to be respected in their own way. So in this time, 4,000 years ago, if you said that you worship the Lord... That's not a problem. There's probably a God called the Lord. The problem came if you said you worshipped only the Lord and if you thought that everybody else should only worship him too. That would be a little countercultural. That would be a little different. So polytheism, the first characteristic of Abraham's time. The second characteristic is kind of ironic because it's sort of like the opposite. Uh, Maybe the word we would use for this would be worldliness. So you're thinking worldliness, and you're thinking what? Like obsession with money, obsession with stuff. No, I'm talking worldliness where we're just focused on the temporal, earthly world. So in this world, people were spiritual. They had all these different gods that they worshipped. But when push came to shove, they had more important things to worry about than their gods. They were worried about winning battles and raising crops and not starving in the brutal ancient world, and making money, and building their family, and building their family inheritance. Um, They were far more concerned about physical earthly things than they were about really building their spiritual relationship with God on on a spiritual level. They weren't really thinking about what comes after this life. They were mostly concerned with what is happening right now. So polytheism, many different gods, and then worldliness that I'm really just focused on this life, These were the driving mindsets in Abraham's world. But then one day, God entered that world. He came to Abraham, and he called him to be different in ways that were not always going to be comfortable. So here's how God called Abraham to be uncomfortable. The first thing God did is he called Abraham to move. He said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. And the book of Hebrews tells us, by faith, 
Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. And so by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promise. Following God had made Abraham into a physical foreigner. So he was, he was a newbie. Uh, he, he did not know the people around him. He was the, the immigrant, the new person to his area. Physically, he was uncomfortable. But on a deeper level, God is calling Abraham to be spiritually uncomfortable, to be a spiritual foreigner. Because God was calling Abraham to a faith that did not fit the prevailing cultural mindset of his world. It was a faith that trusted in just one God instead of many. It was a faith that related to God through God's mercy and grace for free, rather than relating to God through a bunch of offerings and sacrifices that you have to do to win his favor. And then finally, it was a faith that set aside the temporary stuff of this world and that was really focused on the better things to come. And the writer to the Hebrews makes that very clear that this is not just Abraham's way of thinking of things, but it was Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and all of them. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. By the time they died, they had not received the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So, in a polytheistic, worldly culture where people were basically focused, even though they had lots of gods, they're focused on using those gods to get what they want here and now, Abraham and his family must have looked pretty strange. And there must have been times when Abraham and his family felt pretty uncomfortable. Can we relate? Well, it's interesting. I mentioned before these different eras of the Old Testament. As you study them, I wonder if this ancient time of Abraham is the one that's actually the most similar to ours. Because our culture has its own brand of polytheism. It doesn't mean that typically most people are worshiping the god of the river, the god of the sea, the god of the highway, the god of downtown, whatever. Like People aren't really worshiping these locational gods. But what's similar is this idea that there are many different ways of religious thinking and practicing, and all of them are totally valid in their, their own way. So just like Abraham's time, if today you're saying that you're a Christian and you believe in the God of the Bible, that's fine. But what's not fine is when you say that the God of the Bible is the only real God and that everybody else should worship him too. If that's what you say, how arrogant how narrow-minded, how judgmental you are. Really not that different from Abraham's time and his culture. Or what about the other one, the idea of worldliness, that people are focused mostly on this world even though they still have room for spiritual things up there somewhere. I thought this was really interesting. Uh, do you want to... I should ask you some more questions to engage you some more, right? Because this is what we do. Can you guess what percentage of Americans are, are in a church on Sunday morning? I think it's right between those two. I think it's 25. Um, that might be too high, but I'm going to say 25% of Americans are in church. So Americans are, are becoming de-churched. People are not going to church anymore. Three quarters or more of Americans are not in church typically on Sunday. Do you want to guess what percentage of Americans would say that they believe that there is a God or at least a higher power? 
It's 90%. It's 90%. So a whopping 90% of Americans believe in God or some kind of spiritual power. So people are still spiritual to some certain kind of a degree. But how come only, whatever, 20, 25% of people are actively involved at all in the church? It's because people have room for God, but they're much more concerned about spiritual earthly things. Right? People are spending their time and focus and energy on getting good grades, getting a good job, having a good time, setting up a good life. It's not all bad things, but it's things that are in this world. And people, people just all of us, as a culture, all of us are more concerned about the things that are happening right now than whatever might potentially happen in heaven. We're more concerned about the relationships and things we experience here than building our relationship with God. So we have our own brand of polytheism and worldliness, but it's really not that different. Our world is more similar to Abraham's than we think. And so our call from God is more similar to Abraham's than we think. God calls us to be different in ways that are not always going to be comfortable. God calls us into this polytheistic world where all religious systems are valid, and he calls us to proclaim Jesus Christ as the world's only savior. God calls us to go into this world that's obsessed, really obsessed, with comfort and happiness here and now. We'll do anything we can to be comfortable and happy right now. And God calls us to pick up our cross and follow Jesus and endure hardship and difficulty and to stake our hopes in the life that is to come, the life that is in heaven. So God's calling us to be different. And sometimes that maybe makes us look a little strange to people. And sometimes maybe that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, so how do we respond to God's call? Do we embrace God's call as wholeheartedly as Abraham did? Well, that's a tricky question because while there were times that Abraham boldly obeyed God and went even though he didn't know where he was going, there were other times when what Abraham did was not nearly so admirable. In fact, there were times when Abraham ignored the things God told him and he plunged headfirst into the mindsets of his culture. Like, for example, the first 75 years of his life, where we learn from other Bible verses that his family was idol worshipers, and so was he, mixing in the worship of idols with the worship of the true God. Or, like the time that he was traveling in Egypt, and he knew that other men were looking at his beautiful wife, Sarah, and he was so afraid that they might harm him, that he lied and said, she's not my wife, she's my sister, implying, you can have her if you want. Instead of standing up for his wife and maybe putting himself in harm's way to protect her, he stands up for himself and puts his wife in harm's way to protect himself. How selfish. Thankfully, God intervened in that one before anything bad could happen to Sarah. But then later, there was a time that Abraham didn't trust God enough that God could provide an heir and his family line through his wife, Sarah, because she's seemingly infertile. So Abraham slept with Sarah's maidservant instead. To be fair, Sarah was actually the one who had suggested this plan, but still a bad idea and not... Abraham's finest husband moment or follower of God moment. So there are plenty of times when Abraham was a marvelous example of faith and there are plenty of times when he was not. And so it is with us, right? 
There's times in life when we wholeheartedly embrace God's call and we boldly follow him even if we don't know where he's leading us. And there's times when we do not. And the question is, why not? Well, maybe it's because we're so worried about what's going to happen to us that we're afraid to step in and protect someone else. Maybe we're so worried about what's going to happen to our reputation that we fail to step in and stand up for God's reputation. Maybe we're simply pouring so much of our time and energy into things that are going to make us comfortable in the here and now that we just start to lose sight of that heavenly world that's coming. We may not worship idols and statues made of stones and bricks like people did at Abraham's time, but we have our own idols, whether it be money, power, success, reputation. It could even be relationships with people. It could even be pursuing social justice. It could be things that are good things. But if we let these become our ultimate things, our highest good, then we're making them into our idol. So what's happening? To put it simply, God puts us into this world and then he tells us to pack light. Uh, We're living in tents. We're living on the move. This world is not our long-term home. Any look through history and the lifespan of human beings should be indicating this to us. We're not going to be here super long. And yet we get sucked in to the cultural mindset and we act like this is our long-term home. And we start to try to build permanent buildings in a place where we should only be tenting. So what does God do? What does God do with fickle, inconsistent followers like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob? What does God do with fickle, inconsistent followers like us? Well, he forgives us. That's what he does. And uh, out of all the people in the ancient world, God came to Abraham and, and forgave him with his grace and spoke to him in his grace and then gave him this beautiful message of grace that applies down to us and all generations. Here is God's promise in the final verses of our second reading. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. It's a ton of unexpected blessings for idol-worshipping, part-time, consistent-following Abram. And then the last line is the most important verse of all. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How could that be? How could every person on earth be blessed through an inconsistent, sinful person like Abraham? Well, we find the answer at the far other end of Matthew's genealogy. We find the answer in a manger, where a little baby's born who's not just any little baby. It's God's Son himself, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus came into this sin-broken world with all of its incorrect priorities, and he embraced God's commands perfectly. He followed God's lead perfectly. But not only did Jesus live a perfect life in relationship to God, he also sacrificed himself on the cross for us to make up for all the times we, like Abraham, have been too selfish to sacrifice ourselves for anybody else. Jesus, God's son, came into the world and he endured shame and mockery for us to make up for all the times that we have been too afraid to accept shame or mockery for him. Jesus, God's son, came into our world and he endured God's wrath for us 
to make up for all the different ways, many different ways that each one of us has worshipped our idols. But God sent his own son into our world through Abraham's family so that in him we get to have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. In him we get to have a ticket to a better country, a heavenly one, and there we don't have to live in a temporary tent where there's not enough space, right? There we get to live in a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Through Sinful, imperfect Abraham, God sent a perfect Savior for every nation and every generation all the way down to us today. And as a result, looking at our life through the lens of this perfect Savior, now we have clarity for our life because of everything that Jesus has done. And the clarity looks like this. Like Abraham, we can follow God even when we don't know exactly where he's leading us. Like Abraham, we can live differently from the world around us, even though sometimes that makes us feel uncomfortable. And like Abraham, we can be certain that despite our flaws and failures and unworthiness and sins, God is not ashamed of us. Instead, through the grace and mercy that he poured out to us at the cross of Jesus, God delights in us. And do you know why God delights so much in you? It's because you and I are the fulfillment of this promise that God made to Abraham all those years ago. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. All nations. Even people one day in a far-flung land called Atlanta, Georgia. Speaking a foreign language that's not even going to be invented for a long time, the language of English. But all people will be blessed through you. You and I are the living proof that God kept his promise to Abraham. And you and I are the living proof that God's promises, all of his promises, will endure for every generation. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.